You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Find the show on Twitter at Talk of Fame Net. Here are your hosts, Rick Goslin, Ron Borges, and Clark Judd. Welcome to the Christmas edition of the Talk of Fame Network. Probably gather that from the music where everyone but uh, maybe Jerry Richardson, uh, maybe the Steelers and Raiders are looking forward to the holidays. And where Ron, yes, Ron Borges finally clears up the mystery, yes, sir, of what is and what is not a catch. Something I've been waiting for, Ronnie. Uh, Maybe even more so than the airing of the Polar Express, which I hope your son is going to see on Christmas. Oh, for sure. Are you kidding? Now, I, I will deal with that in the appropriate venue. And the appropriate venue is Borges or Bogus. Oh, there you go. Trust okay. me, that rule ain't Borges, brother. <laughs> That's our number two, so hang on. It's coming oh up to you. Oh, my God, what a call. God, I, I can't wait for that, Goose. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you what else I can't wait for. Christmas. So I'm going to ask you, Goose, if you had to give, you had to give NFL fans one gift. It's one gift this Christmas. Something. Anything other than uh, maybe another index card. What would it be? A flagless football game. Let the players decide the outcome. I thought the index card was cheap theatrics by an official on a national TV game. The less I see of the officials, the better. The less we all see of the officials, the better. Thus, my present, a flagless football game. Ah, I like this. How about you, Ronnie? Less replays, more real plays. <laughs> I like that, too. You guys who run football can't even get a celebration rule right. So forget about it. It's midweek time. Speaking of the celebration, I'm just getting rid of that. Anyway, uh, we're not up to that level, Ron. Not yet, but you know what? We're close. In, in honor of the Rams, that'd be the L.A. Rams reaching the playoffs for the first time since 2004 when they were in St. Louis. We're going to have a Ram-centric program. Cue I Love L.A. by Randy Newman. Uh, with Hall of Fame semifinalist Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce, former coach Mike Martz, former beat writer Jim Thomas of St. Louis Post-Dispatch, now covering yeah the Blues, Goose, which is, what he, right was, yeah, which is <laughs> what he was singing, Goose, when the Rams left town. Yeah, the NFL may have forgotten about St. Louis, but we haven't. There were great games, great players, great moments, and a place dubbed the Gateway to the Midwest, and we'll share some of those moments on our show today. Yeah, we will. Boy, that was a loud place, too. Hey, uh, we're not singing the Blues, no, not yet, but we do have to pay the bills. So we're moving to a break. When we return, it's more on the catch. And I'm not talking about Dwight Clark. This is the Talk of Fame Network. Listening to the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. I'm not sure if you saw this, but the CDC, which would be the Centers for Disease Control, has been given a list of words that it's forbidden to use. And, and that list includes words such as vulnerable, diversity, evidence-based, and science-based. Really. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if that was Ted Wells who came up with this idea, but it got me to thinking, which is, uh, you guys are telling me that's kind of rare this time of year, but got me thinking about what words you would ban from the NFL. And Goose, I'll start with you since the Cowboys are, well, let's face it, vulnerable, and, and they believe the suspension of Zeke Elliott, now over by the way, yeah, they believe it was not, quote, evidence-based. So Goose, what words would you ban from the NFL? I would ban the word replay. In fact, (laughs) I'd ban ban the whole concept of replay. Do I really need a replay to tell me what I've always known to be a catch? 
was not a catch in Pittsburgh last weekend. You know, the human element has always been a factor in sports, and I'm of the belief when they make perfect players, then make perfect officials. If you want perfect players and perfect officials, go play the Madden game. <laughs> wow. You top that, Bron? Uh, well, I, can, uh, I don't know if I can top it, but uh, my suggestion is uh, get rid of the words, didn't survive the ground. What in the hell does that mean? <laughs> How know? about complete the process? Right, <laughs> like, didn't survive butkus. Okay, I get it, you know? <laughs> didn't survive the ground? Stop it. I like it. Hey, how about sensible? Just sensible, because it seems to be there's nothing sensible about what's going on with the catch rule or Deflategate or Thursday night games, charges in L.A., index cards in Oakland, you name it. It just seems like we're too much of virtually everything these days, Goose. Yeah, it's it's not sensible that any team could go 17 years in a parody-driven league without making the playoffs like Buffalo has. It's not sensible that a team could go 67 years without winning a championship like the Cardinals have, or a team that would go 51 years without ever playing in a Super Bowl like the Lions have, this league as a whole lacks sensibility. Okay, guys. Um, since we're playing word games, I got one more for you. I'll start with you, Ron, and this one. The Oxford Dictionaries. Ron, you could crack that maybe one of these yeah, months. I, you could find out what's inside I actually there. tend to read it once a month or three months. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. The Oxford Dictionaries has declared the 2017 Word of the Year. And that word is... Trump? No. <laughs> Youthquake. Youthquake. <laughs> you heard me. Youthquake. All one word. Youthquake. Not sure what that is, and 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 maybe you can help me here, Ron. But what's your what's your NFL word of the year? I don't think it's youthquake. Well, first off, let me help you with youthquake. Uh, what youthquake is is that is when you take a cell phone, iPad, or Xbox from your youth. They begin to quake and may soon be struck dumb if not quickly handed a device so they can get back into antisocial behavior. Now I got it. That's yeah. what's going on. Okay. Uh, NFL word of the year. Hmm. That's uh, so many possibilities, you know. Uh, I, I might is actually two words. Illegal touching, which seems to actually be sweeping the country in a different sense. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, uh, why... If you run out of bounds, then run out of bounds, did they come up with the words illegal touching? There's a money thing you call like, ran out of bounds, no can do. Illegal. <laughs> the first time I heard illegal touching, I was like looking around like, who did that and to whom? And, you know, was it in light or dark? Illegal touching. They had it Sunday in the, in the, in the Patriots-Steelers game. You know, what's his name? Cooks runs out of bounds. Okay, he ran out of bounds. He can't catch the ball. Illegal touching? I don't like it. Goose? My word is... McVeigh, because he's performed a football miracle, turning a perennial NFL format into a Super Bowl contender inside of 11 months. He skipped right over the usual rebuilding steps. The Rams have McVeighed the NFL in 2017. Oh, <laughs> oh I, like I like it. it. Yeah, we had his grandfather, John, on here uh, earlier this year. Hey, how about, uh, how about two words here? South Pole, because that's what the NFL's headed if it doesn't address a number of issues that have owners in revolt, ratings down, players kneeling, fans up in arms, and maybe maybe out of their stadium seats, Ron. Yep, well, that's true, but Roger Goodell has a three-word antidote for <laughs> South Pole, and that is streaming video contract. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's got a two-word response, contract extension. <laughs> well, he's got that too, but they just signed big deals with Verizon and NBC yeah. to stream rights. So, you know, as long as somebody's playing nine ninety-five for it, Players kneeling, as long as they're streaming, no problem. <laughs> okay. Well, I mentioned sensible earlier, the word sensible, and there's nothing sensible about the NFL's 
catch rule. So I want it scrapped, overhaul, redefined, recoded, whatever you name it. Uh, but I know Bill Belichick, who's Ron's role model, says Love the rule man. is tough but clear. Now, I disagree. So, Goose, I'll start with you. You guys have a solution to this catch rule? Yeah. It's a very familiar restraint for me. Get rid of instant replay. <laughs> Until the officials looked at that play on replay and were able to nitpick every frame of it, that was a catch. The Steelers knew it, the Patriots knew it, the sellout crowd knew it, and the millions watching on television knew it. Without replay, that's a catch. Agreed, because here's the problem with that rule. If taken to its most insensible conclusion. Ron Borges drops back to pass. He takes off of Rick Gosselin. He turns to his right. He throws the ball to Clark Judge at our own one-yard line. The ball is high. He reaches up and catches it. He runs, but he never brings the ball down. He just holds it over his head as he runs 99 yards. Dives into the end zone. The ball rolls around. They say, sorry, incomplete pass. You didn't complete the process. <laughs> what do you mean? I just ran 99 yards. Yeah, but you held the ball over your head. No good. You didn't bring it back into your body. It's a stupid rule written by people who have never caught a ball or probably their car keys if tossed to them from across the room. <laughs> there's, there, there's nothing wrong with the game itself. It's the officiating of the game and the rules, the right, over-officiated right. rules that trouble me. Right. Hey, Goose, you, you know the thing that bothers me most about that game, the, the Pittsburgh game? Instead of talking about a great game the next morning, we were talking about what? A bad rule. And, and, and there's something else that bothers me, too. Instead of players deciding games now, as you mentioned, Goose, it's officials. I mean, it seems like they're like visas, you know, everywhere you want to be in some places you don't. Yeah, beyond that, it's the inconsistency of the officiating. The, the rules seem to change from one crew to the next. The, the Walt Anderson crew has called almost 90 more penalties for almost 800 more yards than the Bill Vinovich crew. So what's the Anderson crew seeing that the Vinovich crew isn't? There is something that shouldn't bother anyone. It's the weekly State Your Case with Rick. Yes, our Goose Gosselin making a case for former Denver Center Tom Nalen this week on our website. That would be Talk of Fame Network. Dot com. And Goose, you want to make that case again for our listeners? Yeah, statistics provide a powerful argument for Hall of Fame induction if you're lucky enough to play a position that allows you to ma- amass them, like John Elway in his 15,000 passing yards, Terrell Davis in his 2,000-yard rushing season, and Shannon Sharp in his 815 career receptions. All three played for the Denver Broncos, all won Super Bowls with the Broncos, all now have Buss and Canton. But offensive linemen have no such luck because they have no such statistics. Their blocking and their play allow others to amass those statistics. Tom Nalen has as many Super Bowl rings as his teammates Elway and Davis. As the hub of the offensive center, the only player besides Elway to touch the ball in every single play, Nalen compiled a Hall of Fame career of his own, a career that earned him a spot on Denver's 50th anniversary team and a home in the franchise's ring of honor. That could be the top of the mountain for Nalen, though. He's been eligible for the Pro Football Hall of Fame for five years now and has never been as much as a semifinalist, much less a finalist. His career is certainly worthy of that discussion. In his 13 years as a starter, the Broncos won 62% of their games, and only the first four of those seasons were spent with Elway and Davis on the field. That's a lot of winning with a lot of different players, especially at running back. In those 13 seasons from 1995 to 2007, the Broncos had 11 1,000-yard rushing seasons by six different backs. Denver finished in the top five in the NFL rushing nine times in Nalen's 13 seasons as a starter. Three other times they finished in the top ten, and that was with a rotating cast of runners. 
Nail was a five-time Pro Bowl selection and a three-time All-Pro. His blocking was instrumental on a team that advanced to the playoffs seven times, won three AFC West titles, two AFC crowns, and two Lombardi trophy. His career deserves discussion. He has everything you want in a Hall of Famer, except stats. Well, that's true, Gooseman. You left out the most important thing, of course, is he's a Boston College grad, but we'll leave that alone for now. <laughs> and uh, what I'm wondering is, uh, can we make the long-term case for, uh, for Tom Nalen that uh, maybe is what helped Russ Grimm ultimately get in, and to a lesser extent, Joe Jacoby, at least a, a, a finalist, and that is all this production that you're talking about, that eventually the conclusion is somebody was blocking for these guys. Yeah, Emmett Smith once told me his first read in the key of the running game is the center. 11 1,000-yard seasons by six different backs indicates someone who was doing something up front for the Broncos. We know that Gary Zimmerman was protecting John Elway's blindside. Who was going to make the running game go? Well, speaking of stating your case, I see Jim Thomas is waiting to state his case for St. Louis. So we're going to go to the former Rams writer right after this. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Well, as you know, the Rams are a Super Bowl contender. Sean McVay, their coach, is a frontrunner for Coach of the Year. Les Snead is up for Executive of the Year. The run back Todd Gurley is an MVP candidate. But uh, these aren't Jim Thomas's Rams. Uh, not the Rams that left St. Louis in 2016. The Rams that won one Super Bowl there before going to another. No, those were Jim Thomas's Rams. And with two members of the greatest show of turf, among the Hall of Fame semifinals for the class of 2018, we we have the former Rams beat reporter, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, with us here today to talk about wide receivers Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt. So, Jim Thomas, how about those blues? <laughs> yeah, it's a new life for me. I guess you can at least try to teach an old dog new tricks. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's fun to cover a team that wins most of the time. And uh, although... Uh, there was a time when the Rams were very, very good, historically good. That uh, a, lot, a lot of bad seasons there the last decade or so. <laughs> Just to let our listeners know, Jim is in Calgary covering the St. Louis Blues and the Calgary Flames. But, uh, Jim, first off, um, a, a basic question here, but could you have envisioned the Rams team that left St. Louis just two years ago transforming themselves into a Super Bowl contender inside of, well, two seasons? No. Not in the least, and, I, and I'm still almost shocked from from afar. And, and again, now covering hockey, I, I don't. You know, last year I covered the NFL as a whole, and so kept track of the Rams, even though they were no longer uh, in St. Louis. Watching every game, either live, uh, a couple in person, or to, you know, watching tapes. But I've watched a couple other games, but but not really a whole lot. It, it's hard to figure from afar. You know, I talked to enough people. Uh, you know, before my new assignment and, and realized that, uh, you know, Sean McVay, a lot of people really liked him and, and thought he could be a young, uh, dynamic coach. Uh, the, the addition of Whitworth at left tackle really helped because, let's face it, Greg Robinson was, was a problem over there at left tackle. The defense was, you know, a, a lot of talent returning intact, except, you know, they, they, they've taken some losses in the secondary, mainly the free agency, and, and I wondered how they would hold up there. But obviously, maybe the biggest thing is Todd Gurley's bounce-back season. Now, I had heard that, you know, maybe he got a little bit too much into the L.A. lifestyle of the first year there, but, but I'd also heard that uh, – 
uh, you know, his pride was hurt by by his 2016 season, and he wanted to bounce back. And boy, has he bounced back with a fury here. Yeah. Okay, Jim. Let's cut to the chase. Isaac Bruce, Tory Holt. Who was better? Who's more deserving of that Hall of Fame nod in the class of 2018? Okay, now they're both deserving. I realize it's going to take a while, but uh, can I just, and I love Tory Holt, can I lobby for Isaac Bruce here on, on your sure. show? You can do anything you want. <laughs> yeah, and, and Isaac's, uh, he's been a finalist, I guess, once or, or twice, but, but you just look at his overall body of work, uh, especially in the time he was playing. I, I believe he left second in reception yards all time and fifth in. Uh, in receptions uh, all time, lots of lots of big plays, lots of key catches. I remember his first game in St. Louis as a as a St. Louis Ram. The, the Rams were playing up at Lambeau Field. He wasn't a starter, uh, at least right at the time. He he he'd had a modest uh, rookie year that last year in L.A. But he so he was still playing special teams. So he blocks a Craig Hendrick punt before, and gets to the ball before the punt even hits Craig Hendrick's foot. On the very next play after the block punt, he turns around, lines up a wide receiver, and catches a touchdown pass. And that kind of began a love affair in St. Louis with uh, with Isaac Bruce. Uh, all, all the big plays, just tons of big plays over the over the years. Four touchdown catches when the, the Rams in, in 1999, their Super Bowl year. Four touchdown catches against San Francisco when they break their 17-game uh, losing streak against the uh, 49ers. And, of course, the, uh, the game-winning catch in the... Uh, in the Super Bowl. You know, he, he's not a guy that created a lot of waves. He, he didn't attract a lot of headlines. He just went out and worked hard and uh, did his job. And I, I just wonder if, if that, I don't know, over the years hurt him in terms of, of getting notoriety. I mean, he was, he was anything but a squeaky wheel. Now you saw uh, uh, Randy Moss. You saw Terrell Owens. Uh, do Bruce and Holt belong in the same conversation with those two players? Oh, oh, yeah! I think both of them do. They certainly do. Tory Holt. Now he he had a six year span where he had thirteen hundred yards or, uh, or or more in all uh, six seasons. And some of those years he had he had a lot more. And uh, you know he had some knee issues later in his career. There, there was a time when I, I thought he he might when Tor, I thought Tory Holt might threaten uh, uh, Jerry Rice's records because the. Uh, the first oh seven eight nine years of his career were just uh, were just astounding, and then uh, his production got slowed, uh, not just by the, the knee issues, but then the the, the core players around him uh, uh, disappeared. Now, the one thing that uh, I don't think Bruce or Old have maybe that uh, that Owens and and, uh, and and Moss have are the career touchdown numbers, but their touchdown numbers are still high. And, and you have to realize when the Rams were good, and uh, there were there was about a four year stretch where they, they were they were great. Uh, you know, the offense was uh, was very uh, multifaceted, and, and uh, they didn't really lean on one guy. They really didn't even lean on both of those guys. They spread the ball around. Uh, Marshall Falk was catching a lot of passes, a lot of touchdown passes. He had Ricky Pro, Oz Hakeem. So you had a lot of guys involved, and in, in some ways that. That uh, lowered their, their overall totals, but yeah, there's no doubt in my mind they they, they belong in the, in the same uh, the same group, the same class as Moss and T.O. Yeah, I was going to say one of the reasons they don't have the uh, touchdown numbers is as 
Moss and Owens is because Moss and Owens didn't play on the same team. <laughs> These two guys played on the same team, you know, as you mentioned with Marshall. Well, Walker, yeah, too. that's a good point, too, Clark. They, they, <laughs> they, they took, kind of took away from some of their own uh, numbers, and especially with Isaac. He, uh, uh, he played uh, on Rams teams that were pretty bad, and then for a few years, really, really good, and then they got they got really bad really quick. So there was no uh, it was kind of feast or famine with him. There's there's no in between in terms of the uh, you know the teams he played on. We're speaking with former Rams reporter Jim Thomas, who's now actually the Blues reporter of the St. Louis Post Dispatch on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us at talkoffamenetwork dot com on Twitter at at Talk of Fame Net. And Jim, um, how did how did Ike Bruce and, and Torrey Holt play off each other in the Rams offense? I mean, we saw we wonder about how these two guys operate in the same huddle. How they play off of each other in that offense? Well, before uh, and Isaac was uh, uh, Torrey arrived in in the ninety nine season, so Isaac was. Uh, was pretty well uh, established before Tory arrived, and teams used to double team Isaac. They, they would always they would always bring a a, a safety uh, down. Uh, and now when when Tory and, and actually Tory probably a little bit faster than Isaac. When Tory arrived, after a while, and it wasn't right away. After a while, teams couldn't really. Uh, double team Isaac anymore, and, and it also helped that they, you know they had to pay attention to Marshall Falk coming out of the back. Remember what was it? Uh, I believe the '99 season, the Super Bowl season, where mm-hmm. where Falk had a thousand, thousand, you know, a thousand rushing and a thousand receiving. But I would say over the years, Torrey was a little bit more of a deep threat. Although you, you notice uh, uh, Isaac's yards per catch are way up there. I think right. a little bit over 15 for his his career. But Torrey a little bit more of a deep threat. Isaac, uh, a little bit more uh, of a uh, over-the-middle, kind of a, a, a dirty work uh, over-the-middle. One of the bread-and-butter plays of uh, uh, the Mike Martz uh, offense during Martz's uh, time there was the deep in pattern, which took a while to develop. But uh, Isaac was very, very good at that. Uh, in terms of their relationship, they had a great professional relationship. I wouldn't say they were like, uh, you know, great friends, best of friends, and hung out, uh, you know, off the field. But uh, uh, they're both very hard workers. And, uh, matter of fact, Jim Hazard tells the story of the uh, the 2001 Super Bowl when the Rams lost to New England. And that was a game where Isaac fractured a couple of ribs. I think I hit by, uh, I want to say, Ty, Ty Law very early in the game. So he was reduced to a decoy most of those games, but, but most of that game. But Hazard, it was that the Rams were using the uh, – Saints facility and Hazlitt was the head coach then. He goes there like 5, 5.30 in the early evening, late afternoon, thinking the Rams were all cleared out. This is like the Thursday of Super Bowl week, and there was Torrey, and there was Isaac. They were the only two people in the building, other than like the security guard, in the Saints facility, lifting weights like hmm. three days before the Super Bowl. That was that was a kind of work ethic that those guys had. <laughs> Jim, you speak with quite a, quite a bit of authority for a on football for a hockey writer. Do you, do you miss the NFL, and does St. Louis miss the NFL? Oh, of course. I miss the, uh, I miss the NFL. There's, 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 there's no doubt about it. But, you know, now you doing hockey, you've got to throw yourself into hockey. So I don't watch nearly nearly as much uh, football as I did. Now I, I, my, you know how it is when you're working at home, the, the kind of the wallpaper – at least for me, for years, was I would have the NFL network on, the sound very low, but while I was writing, if there was something on the screen or I heard, I could pay attention. Well, now I have the NHL network on, 
and uh, trying to figure out uh, to, to learn this game. Uh, St. Louis is kind of a complicated question. There are a lot of people that really miss the Rams, and it, it hurts them that the, the Rams are so good because last year, I know, at least last year, hate watching was big. They, they carried more Rams games last year, and people would watch the games to root against the, the Rams. There would be like a, the, the local Dairy Queen would offer dollar uh, uh, ice cream cones on the, the Monday after Rams loss. Uh, this year, uh, you can't do that, you know, because uh, what are they, 10 and 4? I mean, they, they're just uh, having an amazing year. But there, there are still some fans that watch the team and root for the team. Uh, again, they've maybe had about four or five games that have been shown live on on, on TV in St. Louis, and the ratings in those games are still better than what, what they're drawing in L.A. And, hey, Jim, thanks so much for the time. You know what? Normally we'd say see you at the Super Bowl, except now we just say uh, I won't see you in the Stanley Cup playoffs, okay? <laughs> thanks again. <laughs> well, have fun up there, guys. It's been my pleasure. You got thanks, it. Jim. Thanks, Jim. That was Jim Thomas of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Up next is Hall of Fame candidate Isaac Bruce. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. So this is Christmas. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Well, when I think of the great Rams receivers, they start with Tom Fears and Elroy Hirsch. And then I move to our next guest, and that would be Isaac Bruce. Now, Fears and Elroy Hirsch are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Isaac Bruce is not, but he is a semifinalist for the class of 2018, and he was. He was a finalist for this year's class. So he's knocking on heaven's door, and now, well, he's knocking on our door. Isaac, thanks so much for joining us again. Um, I know you. I know you've been eligible for the hall the past three years, but but this year, and I and I mean 2017, you actually graduated to the top 15. You were a finalist. What was the wait like the day of the voting, and and how did you or your family and friends deal with the disappointment of not making it? Well, um, fortunately, it was in Houston last year. Um, you know, my wife is from Houston, so uh, my in-laws were there. And, um, you know, honestly, my wife and I, we took in a Houston Rockets game. And the next day, I think, um, you know, I was just like any other husband. I had to go to the mall and, you know, and do some shopping and and, uh, and, uh, and things of that nature. But, you know, it, it rarely crossed my mind. I just... Had had to remember that I had to be back in my room at 3 p.m. So, um, you know, there was no anxiety or anything like that, and, and I really just enjoyed the moment. It was a fun time for me. Isaac, while you didn't make it, Kurt Warner did. So, how long before it took you to speed dial him, and what in your mind made him a Hall of Famer? Well, I think he called me before I could finish dialing his number. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You know, it's funny. Um, uh, I've, I've seen Marshall, or Orlando, and, and now Kurt. Uh, you know, Kurt was a great competitor. I mean, I think he came in and, you know, uh, when he joined the huddle, I mean, he had about four or five other leaders that were already in the huddle, so that made it comfortable for him and uh, took full advantage of it. I mean, I, I, I saw the guy grow from, you know, just being a guy who was, you know, a backup to MVP of the league uh, in a matter of weeks. So it was fun. And, um uh, he did a great job last year at, at, at Canton uh, with his speech. How tough is it for you, uh, Isaac, to know you're in a winner-take-all battle right now with a former teammate, 
uh, Tory Holt, as well as the other guys on on the list. Not tough at all, man. I think um, you know. Uh, I think I had more anxiety about being drafted than uh, you know being selected for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, you know, as far as you know, being being drafted, there's, there's such a great unknown. Um, you don't know what team you'll end up, where you'll get picked, or uh, what position coach or what head coach you'll be play, playing for. So, and, and plus, you're younger. I was 21 when that happened. Um, you know, just talking about this situation, it's, it's totally different to me because you know the the book is closed, and um, you know I've done everything I, that I could do on the field, so to speak, and. You know, my numbers are my numbers. Uh, my organizational impact is it's what it is. Um, you know, the, the people that I disciple, they're, you know, they're either in their career or finished now. And, you know, all the, all the values and the life lessons that I learned from playing football, you know, I, you know, I can channel it towards other things now. So I don't, I don't consider this hard at all. I don't consider it being, um, you know, something that I lose sleep over or high anxiety, but is truly humbling in, in all aspects of it. We're speaking with former Rams great Isaac Bruce, who's now one of the 27th semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we're doing it on the Talk of Fame Network. And you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And Isaac, I, I, I know you might be reluctant to do this, and maybe we've asked you this before, but I'm going to ask it again anyway. Um, there's a lot of competition at your position for Canton and a lot of really elite competition so if you were to stand in front of voters today and and you had to convince them that you isaac bruce are the most worthy candidate at that position what would you tell them okay i appreciate you giving me this opportunity um (laughs) you know uh i I think i've envisioned this moment and if i'm ever called on to kind of help the person presenting me uh, you know this is kind of what i'd say um you know, I just say, you know, speak the facts. And, you know, we talk about values and commitment, integrity, and courage, and respect and excellence. You know, I, I like to say that I, I like to have and live a life of excellency, a spirit of excellence. So uh, you have to mention my numbers and, you know, my ranking when I retired, um, you know, versus those of current Hall of Fame wide receivers. Uh, second all-time in, in receiving yards, fifth, and and in uh, and, and catches, I believe, and touchdowns, I was sixth. Um, second person ever to reach 15,000 career receiving yards. So what I like to do, I like to put my hands over the goat and kind of just go down from there. So, you know, second person ever to do that. Every time I touch the football in my career, I average 15 yards a catch which is a first down and a half. Um, career totals, um, over 1,000 yards catches, catches uh, 15,000 yards receiving. And I like to say 101 catches with an asterisk because I only finished with 91, but when you factor in the Super Bowl game-winning touchdown, I normally give myself 10 for that. It's the dream that every wide receiver has who has ever played in the league that's the way he wanted to end the Super Bowl. And, and I was fortunate, along with two other guys like, like Santonio Holmes and, and uh, Plexico Barris, to, to end the game that way. And I think mine was a little bit more dramatic because I had a catch and run. And, um, you know, just my organizational impact. Um, my numbers retired by the, Saint, by the Los Angeles-St. Louis Rams. 
Um, I discipled their receivers and their defensive backs, guys like Torrey Hope, Eddie Kennison, uh, Kevin Curtis, Aza Kim, uh, defensive backs like Dre Bly, Tajay Allen, uh, Dexter McLeon. I, you know, I kind of, I like to say when I see them, I raised you guys. You know, I raised you, and it's, it's a running joke between us. But I served the Rams well for 14 seasons, man. And, and um, you know, I, I got two team MVPs, and when I finished with the 49ers, I finished as their MVP. And, um, you know, I played hard, played hard when it didn't matter, and I shined when it did matter. So um, the consistency is there. Um, you know, if I had to vote myself and I had to vote for a wide receiver, these are the things, this would be my criteria for these guys. I mean, just how long you did what you did, the impact that you left, uh, your numbers, obviously, and, you know, your uh, National Football League impact. So I don't think this story can be mentioned within within the 100 years and my name not come up. So um, those, are the, those are the cues that I would give the person presenting me. And um, I, just, I just leave it at that. Isaac, during your career as a player, did you measure yourself against Randy Moss and Terrell Owens? And do you now measure yourself against those two as a Hall of Fame candidate? You know what? I, I would think it to be unwise to do that. You know, um, I'm a baseball fan, and um, fortunately, I was in St. Louis and I watched Albert Pujols develop. Um, it, it's kind of funny because uh, where he's playing now and, and the role that he's playing now for the Angels, you know, they, he tend to get the question: Do you have to compare yourself or play to the level of Mike Trout? And it's, it's kind of baffling because you know before. Either those two guys that you mentioned were in the league. I was averaging, you know, 100 catches, 1,500 yards receiving, 10 touchdowns. So, I mean, I wasn't comparing myself. I I mean, I don't think, um, you know, I needed to do that. And as it is right now, I don't, you know, I never lumped myself with with those other guys. I think that, you know, my gift, um, it was developed. I was able to show it uh, consistently for a long time. and, and I mean, I was a com- I was a composite of other guys that I'd learned from just watching and and some of the things that I could do myself. So um, I, I didn't I didn't think it was wise for me to compare myself to other players uh, from that sense. But you know, always always felt like I didn't have to. You know, it's it's interesting, uh, Isaac, to talk to you and to listen to you uh, because we all know that there have been other guys in your situation. Um, ranting and raving when they don't get in, and it's the greatest injustice in the history of sports and so forth and so on. And it's politics and, and all of that. Uh, you've been through that disappointment. You, you haven't taken that position. You know, you made your case very strongly today without talking about anybody else. When you hear those kinds of things from, from guys uh, on the brink of the Hall of Fame, what do you think, without without singling out any single person, but, but what do you think, and does it bother you that, that some guys have to look at it that way? No, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Um, if I could, if I had to sit down and make their case for them, I think I could. Um, I could do it for them. I think other people could make or, or, you know, put my case out there better than I could. I mean, because I just looked at it first and foremost as me being a football player. And what does a football player do? You run, you block, you tackle. I did all of those things. So um, I, I looked at it as part of my job description. Um, so was catching football. So was uh, being, 
the example being the leader, that was that was my job description. So when things weren't going as well as they could be going, I was never one to really, you know, quote unquote, shoot myself in the foot or shoot my teammates feet, you know, because these are the same guys that I'm going to need. You know, if we're down in the game, I'm going to need them. Um, if we're up in the game, these are the people I'm going to celebrate with. So, I mean, I, you mentioned earlier, I graduated last year, which I did. And I said the exact same thing. I went from a semifinalist to being actually in the room. So I was excited about that, man. And, and at the same time, it was humbling. I mean, I got an opportunity to go to the luncheon. And I saw all of these guys from Andre Reed to Art Monk. And I was excited about seeing these guys, man, because, you know, obviously being selected is a part of my dream. So um, just being able to be scrutinized, to have my body of work in front of uh, the guys who uh, are, are doing the selection. Hey, man, it was humbling, man. I had no qualms about it. Hey, Isaac, uh, speaking of uh, scrutiny, I want you to scrutinize something for me. It's something that okay. bothers me in today's game. It's the catch rule. What do you think of it, okay. and how would you change it? Oh, good question, man. Um, I'll just start by saying that I believe it was a catch by the tight end uh, versus Pittsburgh, um, uh, particularly from the era in which I played. I think that you know what I saw happen with my naked eye was that I saw a receiver catch a football, control it with his hands, his knee being on the ground. Now, it takes two feet in our league to have a completed catch or one knee or one elbow or one butt. So when I saw the tight end catch, catch the football, he made a football move and a, and a reach across the line. To me, it's over. The ball crossed the line, uh, the end line of the, touch, of the touchdown, and it's, it's a touchdown to me. But the rule states that finishing the catch – if the ball is bobbled, it's not a catch. So right. um, what I would do to change it, uh, interesting. There are some penalties that trump other penalties in our in our game. So, you know, unsportsmanlike or, or, or roughing the passer, it trumps, you know, maybe a, a, a false start or a, an offsides by a defensive player. So uh, things like that. That I would, I would have that move, what we saw Sunday, trump the rule that we have in the game because what happens if a, if a guy's running the football and dives through the air and you know he lands out of bound but the ball crosses the plane it's a touchdown i saw no difference in that sunday and i think um i think the young man was robbed of a touchdown personally i think a lot of people in pittsburgh would agree with you isaac isaac yeah. bruce thanks so much for the time and best of luck with the hall of fame vote all right guys thanks for having me Thanks, you Isaac. got it. Thanks, Isaac. That was Hall of Fame semifinalist Isaac Bruce. Coming up, it's a two-minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Well, you hear this whistle. That's the two-minute warning. And you should know what it means. It's the two-minute drill with Dr. Data calling today's play. So, Goose, let's get going. Mike Talman wants us to answer a simple question. What is a catch? Answer, Natalie Wood. <laughs> answer, the one Deron Harmon made after that ridiculous fake spike that he could, that Tomlin called. Ezekiel Elliott spent his six-week NFL suspension in Mexico. Where would you spend your six-week suspension? Where I usually do, on the couch. In Portugal, eating linguiça and fava beans. 
What needs to happen for the Buffalo Bills to make the playoffs for the first time in 18 years? Hire Tom Brady. The Patriots must forfeit Sunday's game against the Bills. <laughs> what needs to happen for the Detroit Lions to make the playoffs? Make it a 24-team field. Or Alex Carras, Night Train Lane, and Joe Schmidt are reincarnated at Ford Field. Who will be the next owner of the Carolina Panthers? Bobby Seal. <laughs> Not P. Diddy. <laughs> Who will be the next coach of the Cincinnati Bengals? Jack Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe P. Diddy, if he'll work cheaply enough. L. Davis, Mark Davis, or Miles Davis? Betty Davis. Love Miles Davis, but there's only one Al. Where was the 12th man in Seattle's 42-7 home loss to the Rams last weekend? In the Rams huddle. Looking for Clark's MVP nominee, Russell Wilson, who was cowering under the bench. In hindsight, did the 49ers underpay for their unbeaten quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo? Yes, sirree. Should have thrown in a lifetime of milkshakes at the Palo Alto, formerly Peninsula, Creamery. No. Patriots just traded the wrong quarterback. In hindsight, and three sacks later, should Aaron Rodgers have played last weekend? Yes, sirree. Gave them the only chance they had to reach the playoffs. Now, he sits down. Yeah, no, sirree. They just put him on IR. Hindsight is perfect. Nick Foles threw more touchdown passes than 30 other starting quarterbacks last weekend. Are you becoming a believer in the Eagles' backup? No, Goose. Remember, it was the Giants. (laughs) Yes, Goose. I've always been a believer that he's the Eagles' backup. <laughs> That's the end of our first hour. But stay where you are. Coming up just around the bend, our former Rams coach Mike Martz and one of his greatest players, that'd be wide receiver Tory Holt. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Find the show on Twitter at Talk of Fame Net. Here are your hosts, Rick Goslin, Ron Borges, and Clark Judge. Welcome back to hour two of our Christmas edition of the Talk of Fame Network. In the next 60 minutes, we're going to sit down with former Rams coach Mike Martz, hear from Hall of Fame candidate Tory Holt, and check in with our own Ron Borges on what's bugging him in the NFL. He goes, what's not bugging him in the NFL? Something's always bugging him. Um, but first, because we're a Hall of Fame-centric program, I wanted to mention that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last week announced its six inductees for the class of 2018, and they are. You probably know by now uh, Bon Jovi, The Cars, Moody Brews, Dara Straits, Nina Simone, and Sister Rosetta Tharp. First of all, Goose, your reaction to your music guy? Well, I'm shocked it took the Moody Blues this long to get in. But I didn't see Johnny Rivers anywhere in that list. Is there no justice in the rock and roll world? There is no justice. That's why Todd and Paul aren't in, you know? Come on. You know, but, you know, let's face it. When I think rock and roll, well, I think, you know, Nina Simone. Not the zombies or Radiohead, right? Yeah, sure. Um, but let's expand this to our annual Hall of Fame of NFL songs. Yeah, that's what we're going to do, Ryan, and I'm going to start with you. If you had to put one song, one song associated with an NFL team, or played at an NFL venue in our Hall of Fame, what would it be? That's easy. Sticks is Renegade in Pittsburgh. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. When that screen goes black and that music starts playing, everybody on offense starts crapping their pants. <laughs> How about you, Goose? Hope you're not crapping your pants, Goose. First off, no Raiders theme. I'm shocked. Yeah, me too. Turn, turn I don't in want your to be eye patch. Turn <laughs> your 
eye patch in. <laughs> Didn't want to be picked on by my friends. Yeah, well, mine, mine's the Redskin fight song. That's the decided edge the college press, football press has over the pro presentation, the bands, and the school fight song. The Redskins are the only team with its own band and plays the league's most recognizable fight song. Well, you guys know me. I wanted to nominate Bang the Drum by Todd Rundgren just because, well, just because it's Todd. It's played a million times in Green Bay, but you know I'm not. Nope. Instead, I'm going back to the late 70s for this favorite. What do you think of that, Ron? Oh, dear Lord. They used to play at radio games when I was out in Oakland. They played it until the second time Jack Tatum, Tatum knocked somebody flat. That was it. <laughs> hey, how about this nomination? we got to get out of this place by the animals because we do. We have to go. We've got to go to commercial. When we return, we're going to hear from Ron Borges on what happened in Pittsburgh. This is the Talk of Fame Network. the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Yes, uh, this just in. Jerry Jones, your owner, Jerry Jones, thinks Jesse James caught that ball on Sunday. Yeah, I'm serious. He thought he caught the ball. Of course, he thought Zeke Elliott shouldn't have been suspended either. But uh, Jerry Jones and Jesse James in the same sentence, Ron? Isn't there something sort of ironic about that? Uh, Goose, you think? <laughs> you know, Jesse James was a robber. Jerry Jones believes he was a Robbie. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> Robbie. Don't want to be a Joe Robbie. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Hey, fortunately, not a Joe Robbie. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're going to have more on that later, the uh, Jesse James alleged catch. But this is the Christmas edition of the Talk of Fame Network. And oh. as yeah, we there it is. Our favorite Grinch, Ron Borges. As we do every year, we bring back the best, worst, and maybe even most memorable moments of Christmas past. It's our own Christmas story, except there's no Scrooge, unless, of course, you count Ron. Um, no Tiny Tim. Uh, he passed away 21 years ago. And there's no Christmas future. Ron, that's reserved, I think, for New England fans in, in February. It is every year, anyway. But uh, but we do have memories. We have lots of them. And, and Ron, you're the senior citizen here. Watch it. <laughs> you are. Yeah, you are. So, uh, your f- favorite Christmas game. Let's hear it. Better that than being a late resident. You know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, there really haven't been that many, you know, yeah. Christmas games. I think it's about 17 games. But, you know, one I remember is last year's uh, game, you know, the Steels and the Ravens, which was uh, a war, uh, which I always find enjoyable. Peace, it always is. It, right? yeah, it always is. Peace was not on the earth in Pittsburgh that day. I'll tell you, they, uh, <laughs> you know, the Steelers had lost, I think, four straight. They were in trouble of, of not making the playoffs. And uh, with nine seconds to go, Roethlisberger fires a ball to Antonio uh, uh, Brown, and he, and he saves the Steelers in the only way he could. He took two hits from Eric Weddle and C.J. Mosley and still ducked his head in, stretched the ball across the goal line, and lo and behold, the officials actually called it a catch and a touchdown. <laughs> Imagine that. Hell Imagine of a play, that. hell of a game, hell of a job by the officials because they did nothing. <laughs> C.J. Mosley. I love anyone nicknamed or with the initials C.J. Hey, Gooseman, it's up to you now. Uh, and, you know, Ron, I think I know and you know where this is going. But, Goose, your favorite Christmas game. Yeah, it would be the Ed Podolak game, otherwise known as the longest game ever played on Christmas 1971 in Kansas City between the Chiefs and the Dolphins. In AFL semifinal, the game went into a second overtime before Miami prevailed, 27-24. And I you probably. A field goal, 77 and a half minutes in. 
But the game belonged to Podolak at a losing cause. Collected an NFL record 350 all-purpose yards. Rushing, catching, returning kicks. Had a 78-yard kick return game that almost won in regulation. It also was the last game ever played at Municipal Stadium before the Chiefs moved into Arrowhead. Wow. What a game. Yeah, it was a great game. I didn't realize it was the last game there, but that was a great game. We had Ed on last year. He was great. He was great to talk. Hey, um, you know, my favorite memory uh, wasn't really a Christmas game at all. It was a Christmas Eve game. I think Ron was at it. Uh, it was the ghost of the post-playoff game between the Colts and the Oakland Raiders, 37-31 final in OT. Had it all the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't decided until the ghost. That would be Dave Casper. He made that really incredible over-the-shoulder catch from Ken Stabler. Um, and to me, Ron and Goose, it was football plays as it should be played in the cold in December, in the, in the darkness of Memorial Stadium, great players making great plays, and, and really riveting to the very end. It was also, that was a game, guys, you remember we addressed with uh, Raymond yeah. Chester and Burt Jones when they had him on the show? Sure. And, and if they could have just hooked up on that deep ball in overtime, if, if Burt could have just waited an extra split second, God, I think about it all the time, it might have been the first, well, Ron might have been the first installment of maybe everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> yeah, you're right, but he couldn't wait because he had visions of Jack Tatum dancing yeah. on his head. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, two things about that game, Clark. You know, it was the last time the Baltimore Colts appeared in the playoffs. It was yeah. a significant right. historically historic game because the Colts were really synonymous with the playoffs for you know dating back to the high top shoes of, of Johnny U. Uh, second, you know, everyone remembers goes to the post, of course. Uh, to, you know, which really set up the tying field goal with, I think, 43 seconds left. Uh, but not that many people remember uh, Stable to Casper on a 10-yard touchdown pass that ended what was then the third longest game in NFL history. Mm-hmm. So same combination. You know, wounded the Colts once and wounded Clark Judge's heart, and then they <laughs> took your heart yeah. right out. They, they did, <laughs> yeah. Great. And then Bob Bursey took it out for good when he moved him. Hey, um, Goose, uh, speaking of the Raiders, there was someone from that Please club do. that won our latest poll to cue the uh, autumn wind here. But someone that won our latest poll from the Raiders. And Goose, you want to fill us in on it? Yeah, we asked our listeners and readers who the next coach to receive a bust in Canton would be. And Tom Flores ran away from the field with 91% wow. of the vote. He won two Super Bowls to the Raiders right. and became the first person to win a Super Bowl ring as a player, assistant coach, and head coach. You good with that vote, Goose? Yeah, I, I, I voted Jimmy Johnson. You know, full disclosure, I covered him in Dallas. Not only did he coach the Cowboys two Super Bowls, he built the team that became the NFL's team of the decade in the 1990s. Traded away Herschel Walker for a boatload of picks. Also acquired Charles Haley from the Niners. That essentially shifted the balance of power away from the West Coast. He also drafted Drakeman and Emmett Smith. Yeah, I'm not going to even ask Ron because I know Ron's good with the vote. Ron loves that vote. It's, uh, well, look, the guy not only wins two Super Bowls, the coach. He has tremendous historical uh, uh, chops because he was the first Latino starting quarterback in NFL history and the first uh, Hispanic head coach in NFL history. Uh, you know, you, you add those together with winning two Super Bowls, and I don't see how you keep him out. I mean, he's a historic figure and also uh, got more Super Bowl rings than a lot of guys. Okay, um, I agree with you on that. And speaking of polls, we have another one up there on our website. That would be TalkOfFameNetwork.com this week. And that one addresses the best defensive players in the game today. Goose, Tom Flores sitting on that poll, but do you want to tell us who is? Well, we're getting that early jump, and we got uh, a, a number of good candidates. Calais Campbell, 
uh, pass rusher Jaguars, uh, Chandler Jones, pass rusher Arizona. We got AJ Bowie, a cornerback of the Jaguars. Luke Keekley, a lot of Aaron Donald, a lot of familiar names. It's going to be curious to see who wins this one. Well, there's that song again. Tells you who's got my vote for the best commentary. That would be Ron Borges for explaining. Well, each week explains the inexplicable. He's going to do that again today, and I'm just going to leave it at that because, Ron, the floor is your buddy. Let's hear it. Well, gentlemen, there are rules, there are regulations, and then there is ridiculousness. (laughs) The rule on what does or does not constitute a catch in the NFL has degenerated into the latter. It is bogus, and everyone knows it, including the officials. What the latter doesn't know is what to do about it. The latest example, of course, was the non-catch-catch or catch-non-catch made by Steelers tight end Jesse James, aptly named since he got robbed, uh, (laughs) that initially appeared to everyone, including broadcaster Tony Romo, to to have beaten the New England Patriots in the AFC showdown uh, for home field advantage in the playoffs. This is true for all involved, including Patriots coach Bill Belichick, he later admitted, until Nance uttered the words no one wants to hear. Uh-oh. A veteran would have been bogus. <laughs> After, hey, Ron, would you complete this process, please? Yeah, yeah, really. After Juju Smith-Schuster made a remarkable 69-yard catch and run to the 10-yard line with barely 30 seconds left to play in that game, Patriots are clinging to a three-point lead. James broke wide open in the middle of the field, caught a bullet pass from Ben Roethlisberger, began to pull it to his chest if you watch the tape. Then he turned toward the goal and stretched back out with a ball to try and break the plane, which he did. At no time time did he bobble the ball as he caught it he didn't bobble it when he began to tuck it he didn't bobble it when he reached back out and he didn't bobble it when he when he crossed the goal line that has been a touchdown since st louis university's brad robinson completed the first legalized forward pass to jack schneider for a 20-yard touchdown against carroll college on september 5th 1906 and you covered it and i was there damn it it was a touchdown then and it was a touchdown sunday in pittsburgh under any common sense ruling but the advent of instant replay began a process that has turned the game on its head. If, if under the rule, a receiver must, quote, secure control of the ball in his hands or arms prior to the ball touching the ground. So what cost the Seals a victory they deserve was when James landed the ball, rotated slightly, but he never lost control of it. Now, understand, he didn't drop it. It didn't come squirting free. What he did do was catch it, pull it to his, start to pull it to his chest, then reach out with it and break the play and win the game. Do all that with a ball. And I'm pretty damn sure it was secure in your hands. <laughs> End of story. Ron, why is it the Patriots benefited from the tuck rule and now the Jesse James non-catch? Why does the NFL continue to favor your Patriots? Because <laughs> God sl- smiles down on the truly good people, like the hooded one, Bill Belichick. <laughs> he didn't even, even mention Austin Severian Jenkins either. Hey, Ron, you know what? There is a catch with this program, too, and it goes like this. We can't get to our next guest until we stop for a commercial, so we're going to. But after that, yeah, it's former coach Mike Martz. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Well, we spoke to Hall of semifinals Isaac Bruce in the first hour. We've had Kurt Warner and Tori Hold on here before. Hall of Famer Orlando Pace, too. And now, well, now we have the guy who put them and the greatest turf on the map. Mike Martz, always, always good to catch up with you. 
Hey, Clark, it's a good uh, visit with you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Thanks so much for joining us. And, and Mike, you know what? I, I know you're a West Coast guy. You and I love San Diego. <laughs> you're a San Diego guy, but I know you don't live in L.A., but you're close enough. How does it make you feel to have the Rams in the playoffs for the first time since 2004 or when Mike Martz was coaching them? Well, it's exciting. I'm excited for them. Um, I think that you spend 12 years of your life in an organization and you leave, you just don't walk away and it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. Uh, obviously it does. And regardless of who's coaching the team or, or what the situation is, you know, there's a picture there and you want to see them do well. And, and I think he's done such a terrific job of coaching there. The first year coaching, the the thing that's remarkable about him is the attention to detail and the intensity with which those players play. So that's a team that's on a giant upward trend, so to speak. And you know, I mentioned to somebody the other day, wouldn't it be cool to see them play New England in the Super Bowl? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'd find you there. <laughs> You know, yeah, you know, it, it would be a, an unbelievable. It would be awesome to see that happen, and hope, hopefully, it does. Shoot, you never know. Mike, uh, are you around the team at all? Is there any connection at all with the team? Any any feelings about them? No, you know, I think that you know they're they're up in Thousand Oaks, and, and we're down here in San Diego. It's like they could be in Texas. I mean, it's a. You know, you don't drive through Los Angeles traffic to get there. <laughs> you know, that's a, that might as well be on the other side of the moon. And, and uh, you know, I just don't uh, – I'm not really involved with much of anything in the NFL at this point. So, um, I think next year maybe I'll try and get up and see and watch some of their uh, camp stuff. But I'm excited for them, and they're really a good team. Well, you know, Mike, of course, one of the things they're talking a lot about is Todd Gurley and league as possibly the league MVP. And it was only a couple of years ago when everybody was talking about the death of running backs. So uh, does he remind you at all of, of Marshall Falk and what Falk did for you? Yeah, you know, people ask me that a lot uh, about many different players over the years. Nobody reminds me of Marshall. Um, he, I think that Todd is in his own right defining his career and, and what he his legacy will be. But... I think the the correlation would be the multiplicity, the number of things that he can do out of the backfield, whether you move him outside as a receiver or, you know, get him in space any way you can, and, and his toughness inside as a runner, and all those things you would relate to a Marshall-type back. So, But Todd will leave his own legacy, and I think Marshall is uh, – you know, I think in, in terms of being able to do the same types of things, they just do it in a different way. We're speaking with former Rams coach Mike Martz on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And, Mike, a lot of talk about wide receivers Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt as Hall of Fame semifinalists for the class of 2018. Uh, Isaac, who's our guest in the first hour, was a finalist last year. Torrey Holt uh, is a semifinalist, and he was a fi- semifinalist last year. I, I, two-part question. What separates the two? And if you had to take one, one to the next level, meaning the final 15, which one would it be? Tory Bruce. Really? <laughs> really? Wow, I haven't heard of that guy. Who is he? <laughs> Always you're the not, diplomat, Mike. Not, I like you're it. You're not getting that out of me, Clark. Come on, you know better than that. Well, what separates, um, the two? what separates the two? I mean, when we were in that room and people were saying, you know, Tory Holt or, or Isaac Bruce, what would you tell them uh, about the two? Well, they're, they're both exceptional technicians. 
uh, Torrey played X. That was static on the ball because he's a bigger, a little bit bigger anyway. Um, he was a little bit more physical. He was that guy that go up and grab the ball. He was he was that stationary position over there that that got a lot of throws. Uh, Isaac, we moved him all over the place. Isaac has an ability I've never seen on a, a receiver ever, an ability to change direction in full stride. Uh, you know, his center of gravity, his bounce, and his ability to physically adjust to the ball, Torrey's unbelievable hands and Torrey's strong legs and the run after the catch, they, they just physically are a little bit different, but they excel in the same areas. So it's it's really hard to explain. Isaac was had the feet part of it, uh, change of direction, uh, and yet – Core, he could stick his foot in the ground and come to a dead stop and snap out of it and leave you in the dust, you know. And they both had that breakaway speed. Although when you look at their forty times, you know you're not going to say whoa. Um, but you know their play speed was phenomenal. So it, it's really hard. They're both very, very deserving. How do you catch? How do you have thirteen hundred yards six straight years? And, and somebody says, well. You know, that's not going to be done again. Well, who's going to ever do that again? Jerry Rice never did it. Nobody's done it. I don't know if it'll ever be done again. You can start the conversation for Torrey there. Then Isaac, all he ever did was make big plays at the end of the game to win games, to win Super Bowls, to win FC championships, to, you know, all those things. So, and their numbers speak for themselves, but both of them, I would have to tell you, are extremely unselfish. They never promoted themselves. Um, they were team players, the consummate team players, poster boys for what, to me, the NFL should be. Mike, the discussion is obviously going to be Terrell Owens, Randy Moss. How, how do your two guys stack up to those two as candidates? Um, well, both those guys are exceptional receivers. There's no question about it. Big receivers that uh, had that long speed and uh, and all that good stuff, and, and that's great. I think for the most part, it's hard to draw a comparison because they're just different types of players. They're both very productive. Um, the consistency. I think both Isaac and Tory, if you look at their consistency over the years, they just never wavered in their production. And they were always the reason why you were winning, you know. Um, without them, it's tough to say that we were going to have the success that we had. They weren't independent contractors. They were the consummate team players that, you know, they rose up. They are at their best when things were at their worst. And I think that's the best compliment I can give them. I like that phrase. They weren't independent contractors. <laughs> we I are, say, however. Right. Well, no, I say I say that. I'm not saying that uh, Randy and Tara work because I, I, that's not what I'm getting at. But so much of the league anymore is like that. Right. The identity of, of, of the team and the unselfishness and the, the chemistry of the team. Those teams that have it, they win. Yeah, you know, right. and if you don't have it, no matter how good you are, you'll, you're going to take your lumps. Yeah, to me, that's New England, Mike. You know, they, they, those guys are together. That's like there's a real chemistry there with those guys. No question about it. Yeah, no question. You know, and I saw Randy, of course, when Randy was here, and he had it for about a year and a half, and then he, then he lost it, and then he was gone. You know, <laughs> that was just sort of the way they 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 do it here. Yeah, I don't think anybody ever questioned either one of the two guys' uh, production or their abilities. You know, Owens, you know, or Moss. I, I just, and I don't. 
and I'm not here because I never coach him. I'm, I'm not talking to you about them because I don't know all the nuances. And I do know the other two guys, and I, I do know the impact that they made game after game, year after year on that organization, that football team, and their value. And it's hard to sit down and look at that and not think that it's unusual and that they both belong in the Hall of Fame. So uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I get angry because they're not in already, I guess. Uh, that's probably the best way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do. Uh, to that point, um, you know, the, all three of us are going to be sitting in that room listening to people make the cases for each one of these guys, uh, Owens and, and Moss and, and very likely your guys. Um, if you were brought in that room to make the case for Isaac and, and Tory. Uh, against those guys, because to a degree, it's going to be a competition. We saw this before with Chris Carter and, and Art Monk and Tim Brown, and they, for years, they couldn't get in because four guys voted for one guy and six guys voted for another guy. So, what's the separation point? I guess is what I'm asking. Between those two, yeah, or or between your two guys and those other two guys. Well, I think uh, the consistency, you know, over the long run, and the, the level of play that they held up. And play to, oh, an example, the best example is the six years at 1,300 yards. Yeah. yeah. You know, find somebody that's even close to that or ever was. You know, it's just not. Not there. And how fast Torrey got to the 10,000. Then you look at Isaac's career and the productivity there. And, you know, here's a great example. I remember when we went back, when we moved the team back to St. Louis, we'd go back to play Green Bay. Brett Favre was a young man. We open up there, and we beat them because Isaac blocks a punt, then scoops it up, tackle him, and then we throw him a touchdown pass to the next play to win the game. <laughs> wow. Really? Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, That's right. And by the way, he, he sold programs before the game, and he swept up the locker room afterwards. <laughs> you know? so, I mean, that's who he was, and that's yeah. who he is, and, and his impact. And the thing that you can't measure that you have to talk to other players, too, is the impact that they had in the locker room. Right, right, right. Their portion of the chemistry that brought that winning, winning atmosphere to that organization. And Tory's energy level, you guys have been around Tory. You know, he can't sit still. You know, he's just so, he's got a smile on his face and he's just high energy and, and as polite and as quiet a guy Isaac is. They're just opposite personalities, but they have the same type of impact on people in the locker room. And they're role models for him and they, and they care about each other and the teammates. And, I, you know, I'm, I know I'm rambling on about that part of it, but to me, when you start looking at a champion, you have to on a team. How has he impacted the rest of the football team? Right, right, right. Yeah, sure. And, and that's what the, that's that's where the criticism of Owens comes in. And to me, honestly, I think rightly so because I covered him and I, and I know what happened there. But I, I think think that's rightly so. But anyway, hey, Mike, we're going to have to run. But thanks so much for the time. And you know what? Do us a favor. Say hello to Ernie Zampezi for us, would you please? Oh, the most stamper. definitely I'll do that. <laughs> Love the stamper. Love the stamper. <laughs> the stamper. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Mike. That was former right, Rams guys. coach Mike Martz. Up next, it's wide receiver Tori Holt. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Let it snow. 
You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Our next guest, Tori Holt, is the other half of one of the great wide receiving tandems in NFL history. Now, we had his partner, B. Isaac Bruce, on earlier in the show, and we just got finished, of course, with the architect of that offense. That would be Mark Martz. But Tori and Isaac were featured performers in the greatest show on turf, and that was an offensive higher wire act that you obviously remember, know, and it won one Lombardi trophy for the Rams in St. Louis and went to a second Super Bowl a couple of years later. Quarterback Kurt Warner has already been enshrined in the Hall of Fame, as have running back Marshall Falk and Orlando Pitt from that offense. But now Tori and Isaac are semifinals for the Hall of Fame's class of 2018. And like Isaac Bruce in the last hour, Tori is here to talk with us. And Tori, thanks so much for being on here and joining us. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. Tori, Isaac Bruce was already a Pro Bowl receiver when you arrived in St. Louis as a first-round draft pick in 1999. What did you learn from him about being a professional wide receiver? Oh, man, I learned a lot. Uh, you know what? I was really fortunate to come into a situation uh, being a, an understudy of, of Isaac Bruce and being shown how to be a pro on a, uh, on a day-to-day basis um, on and off the football field. Uh, he was uh, consistent and very, very, very competitive, uh, which is one of the reasons why uh, he having an opportunity to be a finalist last year and assumed to be Hall of Famer uh, is very well granted. So that was a treat. I really enjoyed it. I tried to soak up as much as I can, could from Isaac. Uh, he didn't talk a lot. Uh, and he still doesn't to this day, but when he speaks, you, you, you have a tendency to, to, to listen a little more. Your, your ears perk up a little more when when he talks because he always has something um, uh, something good to say and, and very resounding. So uh, under his toolage was great. Ricky Prohl also was in that was in that room as well. And uh, his plethora of knowledge and uh, professionalism as well. Uh, so good examples, Isaac Keem and Tony Horn and other guys uh, in that room. Just uh, it, it was a benefit. And I always say to young guys today, if you can get in a room, if you're fortunate enough to get in a room like that with guys um, that's played a while, got a ton of knowledge and still pros and going out and playing at a high level, take as much in as you can. Take as many notes as you can. So I found myself doing that, uh, and, and they showed me how to do it. And, and then it was important It was important for me uh, to continue to play the game as I saw it and how it was presented to me. And, and that was Ricky and, 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 uh, and, and Isaac, uh, for sure, uh, just leading, leading that room and, and showing us how to do it and keeping the receiver position played at a high level. Uh- Tori, how did you two sort of play off each other and complement each other as, as, as wide receivers? Because sometimes you get in these kind of situations and and, and then there's more uh, stress between the two guys than there is complementary play, which there certainly was with you two. Right. I, I just think we, for one, we both uh, fed off each other. We both were competitive. We both were ones. Um, but we had enough humility to uh, and humbleness to uh, feed off one another. If Isaac was drawing double teams, then it was my responsibility to bust the dude on the other side ass <laughs> for, for four quarters. And then if I was drawing double teams, it was his responsibility to bust the other guy's butt, uh, the one-on-one opportunity, every single time. So we knew that. We understood that when it was his goal um, and, and it was up to me to clear out, uh, I did that. It was my goal. It was up for him to clear out. And all the other guys, they did that. And uh, we could take hitches to distance. We could take slants to distance. We could take 20, 22 to 25-yard digs to distance. We could also 
take the ball. We, we also had the ability to take off the top end of the defense, either one of us, uh, with double moves or straight up just routes on speed and precision. So we did it, we did it all. Uh, and we took pride in blocking, too. We really did. And, and that was a credit to Al Saunders, the coaching that we got uh, from Al and being a young boy. And mind you, guys, I was, I was just a rookie. Playing rookie, playing, 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 responsible to play at a high level. Uh, but Al Saunders was was a constant in our room, in the receivers' room, uh, and he demanded that we do it all. And Mike did too. He demanded that we did it all. Uh, not, not only be and you hear Isaac say this as well, and other guys. Uh, it's good to be a, a. We took pride in being really good receivers, but we took pride in being good ass football. Excuse my language. We took pride in taking. We took pride in being really good football players. All right. Um, the, the, the attention to detail, the film study, the, the training, uh, the lifting, the, the routes on air. I mean, all, all the stuff that embodied playing the game and playing at a Hall of Fame level. Uh, I saw that on a consistent basis. So it was only I was only going to was only going to. Uh, I was only going to pick up on those habits and, again, try to carry it out as well. It's funny you mentioned Al Saunders. I covered him in the mid-'80s when he was the receivers coach in San Diego and then became the head coach there. They had some pretty good receivers. They had Charlie Joyner, who's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Wes Chandler, yeah. who was a great yeah. receiver. Kellen was at uh, tight end. They had Pete Hullahan, oh. Eric Severs, and they had great, great receivers. Yeah. Eric Coriel and all. Yeah, and, and yeah. Al would talk to us about those guys and how they worked and how disciplined and, and, and uh, uh, skilled they were at the position, how they took pride in it. Um, so uh, that really helped. It really helped me from a young age uh, and then along to go, to go along with my skill sets to really, to really play at a high level from, from the jump. We're speaking with Hall of Fame candidate Tory Holt on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And, and Tory, you and Isaac Bruce spent nine years together in St. Louis, and you were working towards mm-hmm. a common goal, which, of course, is winning championships for the Rams. Just wondering, um, how do you feel about having to go against each other for spots in the Hall of Fame's class of 2018? You've done it before, but you've got to do it again. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that doesn't even, I don't even pay, put a lot of uh, time into that. It's just what it is. I mean, Isaac and I, whether he goes in the Hall of Fame, I don't. I go in the Hall of Fame, he don't. We'll always be tied together. We'll always have, we'll always, uh, because of, we were a dynamic duo. Who's one of the best duos in the NFL history. Um, uh, so that's going to always be the case. And I'm just really honored and humbled. Um, and thankful to still be, you know, tied to Isaac, talking about having an opportunity to be Hall of Fame uh, players. That's a tremendous, tremendous honor. And uh, and again, he um, he showed me how to do it. Um, he pushed me. I pushed him. Uh, so I, uh, I I get it. So I don't make no bones about it. It's up to the voters to decide how it how it goes. Our work is done. Um, the numbers is there. The consistency is there. The championships are there. The division championships are there. The individual records are there. The NFL records are there. I mean, I can keep going on and on and on and on about he and I careers. It's, we 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 mirror mirror each other in a lot of ways. But I wouldn't. I I, I uh, I'm going to ride the wave. And I'm again. I am honored to be uh, you know tagged with Isaac because I know. How much important I know how important the game meant to him and is to him, and he knows how important the game is to I. And we, we, and, and that's that's cool for us. It was about playing football and playing at a high level. So I'm cool with it. It is what it is. I, I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it for the rest of my life. But I'm okay with it. 
you know, it is rare that two receivers from the same team wind up in Canton together. The Steelers did it with John Stallworth and Lynn Swan. Yeah. Bills had, uh, for a brief time, James Lofton and Andre Reid. And Andre Reid, yeah. Right. Why should there be a place in Canton for two receivers from the greatest show on turf? Why should there be? Yep. Oh, man. I mean, I, I think when you talk about those guys that you just listed, Stallworth, heck, uh, Rice and, and Taylor. Keenan McCardell and Jimmy Smith. I mean, there's been a ton of ta- tandems, good tandems. Um, but I would put Isaac and I up there with the be- with being the best, um, with the volume of production, um, the style in which we did it, uh, the consistency in which we did it, um, how, how, how the, the the accumulation of yardage and points and. Uh, how teams were drafting and what they were drafting to try to slow us down. I mean, we, we, we helped change the game and how people coached the game and how guys backpedaled and how teams were drafting players to try to, again, to defend us. Uh, heck, and I tell the story all the time, guys were, guys were bringing out two or three different pairs of shoes prior to the game, trying to figure <laughs> out which one they wanted to wear to try to keep up with us. <laughs> hey, that's the ultimate compliment, you know what I mean? If they ain't Hall of Fame shit, I don't know what is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man. I mean, uh, just 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 a just a it's a, just a, it's a fun fun time, man. And I was able to, I got off track there, but I was just able to do some amazing things with some amazing guys, man. And Isaac was one of them for sure, all of them. When we're in the uh, selection meeting, especially for the skilled players. Uh, you know, we often ask, "What was the what was the if it's a receiver? What was his signature play? What was his signature catch? Uh, is there one play from your career that 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 you think of if somebody says to you, "What is your signature play?" Hmm. I, I, I think for me it was the touchdown catch my rookie year. Uh, with all the chaos, Greg Williams and the blitzes that he does. I mean, all the chaos is going on in Super Bowl. The pressure is mounting. Uh, we need to get on. We need to get on the board. We're down in the red zone. We talked about it during the week, all during the year. You know, coach likes to bring pressure in the red zone. We welcomed it because we felt like if you brought pressure and one of us get free, which we have the ability to do, there's nobody else that's back there. All we got to do is make our man miss and we go the distance. So they, they dare to blitz us. And uh, and for Kurt and I to look at each other subtly um, uh, and be on the same page and really locked into the moment, uh, I make a guy miss there at the line of scrimmage. I think it was Sydney. I'm a rookie now. This is I'm, I'm, I'm doing vet moves as a rook in the biggest stage, in the biggest game of all of our lives. Um, and to be able to execute that play and pull in that touchdown with just one shoulder because the week before, and people uh, – uh, well, I, my, my, I wouldn't say my toughness has been questioned a lot, but Derek Brooks, the week before, just, I had a separated AC joint, coughing up blood. I couldn't get that one arm up, but to be able to squeeze that ball and face mask, get my arm up just enough to bring that in to to, to put our team in a position to win the ball game was was my biggest biggest catch because of all the things that it can entail and, and, and some that I mentioned. It's great. Hey, Tori, as, as you know, I mean, you don't have to. Uh be anywhere but just either a newspaper or the internet to know you have some pretty stiff competition at the wide receiver position Mm -hmm. and and Randy Mm -hmm. Moss is there, Terrell Owens is there, of course you should mention Isaac Bruce, Um, but but Moss and Owens are the guy that people are talking about, so I'm just wondering if you could help us with this what separates you from them as a Hall of Fame candidate? 
Oh, wow. I, I think um, and, and those guys are very well deserving, uh, very consistent, dominant players in their own right, uh, for big as they were to transform the receiver position the way they did. Uh, incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, uh, it was about consistency. Uh, for me, it was about um, making the, the meaningful plays for uh, my football team. It was about, um, you know, I, I played 11 years, only missed two games in my whole entire career. Um, year after year production, year after year being a top five uh, guy from a statistical standpoint. Uh, you know, all, all those things I, I think I match up with anybody. Um, you know, some would say, oh, well, you only played 11 years. Well, hell, in those 11 years, I was top five, top ten for a decade. Heck, I was all right. decade team. Right. So, and I was doing it with these, I was doing it with Terrell and Randy and Marvin and, and Isaac, but the funny thing is, I was the youngest of them. I was the youngest boy. <laughs> so, um, to be able to play at a high level amongst guys like Randy and Terrell and Isaac and Marvin and Hines and Jimmy Smith, the list goes on and on. Um, I took pride in that, and I was able to do that for for a long period of time. Um, and that's what I'm proud of. I think that's what, what, what I think uh, separates me from a lot of these other players. Um, and, then the, and, then the, and then the style and the grace and uh, that I also bought to the game. Tori, thanks so much for the time. Good luck with Absolutely. the next vote. Good luck with the next yes. vote. And Merry Christmas, Dave. Yes, thank you, guys. Happy holidays. All the best. Thanks, sir. You thanks, got sir. it. Thanks. That was Hall of Fame candidate Tori Hall coming up. It's the two-minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Well, we're almost at the finish line today, so blow that whistle. Or maybe we'll shake those sleigh bells. I don't know. That means we're going to the two-minute drill. So, Goose, take us home. The Broncos will change quarterbacks this week and for the fifth time this season. How soon before John Elway gets back in the rotation? As soon as he finds Ponce de Leon. (laughs) Not soon enough because he's better than the guys he's picked to replace himself. Bryce Petty, Richard Petty, or Tom Petty? Isn't the same question we had in segment uh, one in the first hour? The same answer. Petty Davis. <laughs> I have a different suggestion. Bryce Harper, Tommy Harper, or Harper Valley PTA? <laughs> Can Adam Vinatieri catch Morton Anderson as the NFL's all-time leading scorer if he stays in Indianapolis? Sure, sure he can, Goose. And maybe then he'll come on this show. <laughs> he can if he stays in Indianapolis, but not if he gets traded to Cleveland. Eli Manning threw for 434 yards last weekend. Is he trying to save Coach Steve Pagnola's job or his own job? Neither. Can't be done if there's no job to save. <laughs> He's doing neither. He's auditioning for his job with the Jaguars. Who has the better chance of winning a football game in January? Jim Harbaugh or John Harbaugh? That'd be John. Unlike Jim, he doesn't have to overcome two opponents. The team he's placing and his own ego. (laughs) It is John. And he also has a better chance of winning a championship. Who's in greater jeopardy these days in Washington? Bruce Allen, Jay Gruden, or Kirk Cousins? Rex Tillerson. (laughs) (laughs) The coach is always in jeopardy if he's working for... Daniel Snyder. As the season winds down, who is the most overrated player in the NFL? Mitch Trubisky. Andrew Luck with Eli Manning close behind. Or is it the other way around? Who is the most underrated player in the NFL? 
Tom Brady. No matter what he does, never enough to satisfy Ron. Wrong. Devin McCourty, he holds together those bunch of slappies the Patriots call it. <laughs> Referee Gene Steratore introduced a new officiating tool to the NFL this weekend, an index card for first down measurements. What tool would you like to introduce to improve NFL officiating? An axe. Frozen whistles. You blow them, but they make no sound. That's the end of the game. We'd like to thank Isaac Bruce, Mike Mart, Story Holt, and Jim Thomas for joining us, Robert Harris Jr. for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website, thatbetalkoffamenetwork.com, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, look for us next week at this time and on this station. And on behalf of Rick and Ron, I'd like to say Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night.